Bibles, I want you to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Uh, man, I love the Word. And I love that what City Church has been doing in the season of Ephesians, because you're just teaching the Word. And there's nothing better than this. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter what you walked in here tonight with, the Word of God is the answer for whatever you're dealing with. So we want to lean into it. So I want to, I want to teach two verses tonight. Uh, and we're going to spend some time on that. We're going to spend some time on what is God asking us to do with this passage. So let's just read it, and then we'll dive in. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are unbelievably thankful, God, that you have given us your word. Not man's word, not man's idea of who you are. It is who you are. And because of the Holy Spirit, you have allowed us to have a book of it. So God, would you lean into, or would you... Posture our marks, God, to where we can receive whatever you would have for us tonight. Would you speak to our hearts now, Holy Spirit? So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is an amazing passage coming off of what uh, Pastor Marcus shared last week. Of what does it look like to walk in the love of God? What does it look like to walk as a follower of Jesus? What I love about what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Ephesians is it's really split straight down the middle of what he is doing, right? So the first three chapters are really jam-packed full of theology. This is who God is. This is why it's important to understand who God is. This is how you can know God. It's the gospel. It's his identity. It's all these important things. This is when you, when you think of God, you should think this way. And then he transitions in chapter 4 to go... This is what you do with that. And this is massively important for us as believers, as people that are seeking after who Jesus is, who God is, this idea of God is, if we want to know him, if we can know him, what should we do with him? Everyone in this room, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for your whole life, as long as you can remember, or maybe you're in here tonight kind of figuring out what this is all about. Those are two things we all need to see that they're in the deep parts of our hearts. Is there God? If there is, what's he like? And what should I do with him? And see, as Christians, we are called to live out what God has called us to do. And Paul is giving us an important understanding of what we should do as followers of Jesus. And I want to say that as followers of Jesus, a lot of times we can get this idea of Christian, disciple, and all this kind of stuff confused. We are to follow Jesus, not just say we love him. And those are two different things. You can say you love someone and not actually follow after. Not on time. Imitate, love, offer. Three things I want us to see in this passage. Imitate, love, offer. And what are we going after? He says, therefore. It starts off, therefore. When you think of therefore, you should say, what's it there for? cheesy, but it helps. It's kind of transitioning out of chapter 4 and verse 32 
won't be on the screens, but if you're there in your Bible, you can see it's just right above it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So I get it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. If we really examine ourselves, those are characteristics that sometimes are hard. You got anyone in your life that's just not easy to get along with? It's not really not, it's not easy to be nice to them. Just me? Cool. This idea, this is what he has called us because, why? Because this is what Christ has done for you. He's forgave you. He's shown these characteristics. So therefore, be imitators. This idea, real quick, the word be in the Greek can be translated to become. Which is comforting to me because it's not saying you have to do this now. If you don't have it, then you're out. It's what I love about City Church. You come because you come as you are. Because we're all jacked up human beings. I've translated that into my language because that's how I feel. But this idea of become, becoming, you're becoming an imitator. As a follow of Jesus, this is what you've been called to. To be transitioning into something. To be transformed, imitated. What I love about this in Ephesians 5, this is the only place in all of the Bible that it tells us to imitate God, which is important. We'll get to that in a second. Because elsewhere in Scripture, we see this idea. I'm just going to fly through some Scripture of our brother Paul and a few others that have said some things, because these are bold statements if you think about it. 1 Corinthians 4 16 says, I urge you, therefore, be imitators of me. Massive statement. Be imitators of me. I'm not, I'm not standing up here saying, be, hey, look at my life and just do everything I do. Because there's a few things I don't want you to do that I do. But Paul said, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's pointing us to something bigger. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you become imitators of us and of the Lord. You receive the word in much Affliction. First Thessalonians 2, 14 says, For you, brothers, become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus. Look at this idea. Be imitators. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. He goes on. It's not because you do not have the right, but, you do, but, you, uh, but to give in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul's pointing out this idea, we are to be people that are walking in a way that resembles how God has called us to be. And we should be able to look to one another. Hebrews 6, 12. So you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of the way of their life. Imitate faith. Imitate their faith. Look to your leaders. What I love about this place is you are surrounded by people that love the Lord and are going after them. And there is something, not that we ride the coattails of someone else's faith, but that we look to it as an example. And you have leaders that you can look to. Amen. Third John 1 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. See, this is the idea. Imitation is something that we should be going after, not because you can fake it till you make it, but that 
you are called to walk in an example of what God has laid before you and what God has called leaders to lay before you. And we're all imitating. We're all imitating something, right? We all have imitated something in our like when you're growing up. Maybe you had a you know uh, a fascination with a sports team. For me, back in the day, it was the Atlanta Braves. Held out a lot of hope for them back in the day. But I knew like their whole lineup. Like, and I would play baseball by myself in the backyard as each different player from the Atlanta Braves. I mean, hate it. At some point in my life, I really thought I was going to play baseball at some high level. God had different plans because I never got above 5'7 when I stand up straight. And so this is, but we were imitating. Imitating. And I'm seeing it right now. I have a uh, two-year-old and a four-year-old, and my two-year-old Hudson uh, I have made the mistake of allowing him to watch UFC with him. Judge me all you want. I don't know why. Some some reason. Maybe it's the manhood of me trying to come out. And it has backfired on me because he's watched it a few times. I don't really want him to watch it, but he just walks in and sees it. And now he likes to act like he boxes and kicks. And he only does it with me. But yesterday, I was laying on the couch, and uh, he decided that he wanted to add something else to it, not just his fist, but a book, and I caught a kid's book across the nose. It was great times. But he's seen me play with him, and he wants to imitate me. Because we want to imitate that what we love. And we all can think back to moments where we've imitated someone or something because we have a deep affection for them. This is what God's calling to us. So why? The question I think we need to ask tonight is, why imitate God? And if you really think about that concept, that question, that's an intimidating thing, right? Because if God is who the Bible says, who God says he is in the Bible, that he's holy, he is perfect, he is just in all ways. He has always been. He will always be. He is everywhere and knows all things. That seems like an impossible task to go after. Right? That just seems impossible. But we want to imitate what we love and what we want to become. Not that we become God, but walking in his characteristics. You will not know all things. Men, you got a lady in your life? You can't know 25% of the things going on. Amen? You can say it in your head. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. You can't know all things. You can't be all places. You will never be perfect. But you are to walk in the characteristics that God has laid before us in the person of Jesus. I think of a commercial that years ago it was a GMC commercial where a dad pulls up a brand new truck. It's awesome. Jacked up. It looks amazing. And the little boy is just so excited because his daddy has this massive truck. He wants to be like Dad shows up the next day and pulls out of the bed of the truck, a truck that looks exactly like the dad's truck. And the boy loses it because all he wants to be is like his dad. He wants to do and be and act and go to the places that his dad does because that's who he looks up to. The same for the Christian should be true. And so when you see this, when you're asking these questions of why should we imitate God, it's because if we love God, we want to walk in the characteristics of him so that others will see him. 
It's massive. And so we have to see that there's a danger in imitating what you do not know. See, because you can play the game. We have been around people, if you've been in church, or maybe you have walked in this because this is my story. I grew up in the church. I grew up in Sunday school. I knew all the churchy answers. I knew when to raise my hand. I knew when to sit down. I knew when to say the right answer or when to be quiet. And I was imitating something I did not know because I had never met God. I just knew if I did it with God. And see, the problem with imitating what you do not know is that it will always be proven that you are a fake. You can only go so long faking what you do not know. But the beauty of this is God has made a way for you to know it. That he isn't hiding under a rock somewhere, hoping you'll stumble upon him and be like, oh my goodness, I've been looking everywhere for you, God. He said, no, I've made myself known, and you can know how to imitate me. So how? Look at this. Be imitators of God. Become imitators of God as or because you're beloved children. Beloved children. Think about this. God isn't calling us, you're, you're like a second choice. You're, you're, you're just someone that I've kind of decided that you, I want to be part of. This idea of beloved, deeply loved, favorite. This is how the Father sees us as children of God, not as some nobody or some second-class citizen. He sees us as his favorite. That's why I love in the Gospel of John, it seems like he is, uh, that John who wrote the Gospel of John is kind of this arrogant guy, as he calls him, the disciple who Jesus loved. It's like, really? Who talks about like story of them running and the disciple that Jesus loved was the first one there? Is John like boasting that he was faster than them? It's this idea of, it's not that he thinks Jesus likes him more than the rest. It's that he had realized that God loves him deeply. This is how we have to see it. And we realize that God has that kind of view towards us that he has called into his kingdom, into his family, is that we are beloved children. Why would you not want to imitate because I know, I know the reality of life, and I know that some of us have walked into this room, and the idea of God being a father is a foreign concept, or it's a difficult concept, or that's why you struggle with God, because the idea of a father or a dad in your life is non-existent. I know that's a reality. If it's not for you, it's for someone else that you know. And what I want you to say, I want to say today is God is the perfect father. He's the example of what a father should be. Who loves you unconditionally. Who's always there for you. Who isn't in and out or disconnected. He is fully engaged. And when you have a dad like that, you want to be all that you can be for him because he has been all that he can be for you. Deeply loved children. And I love this. See, Ephesians 5, 1 is explained really well by Ephesians 1, 5. Let me read it for you. It says this. He predestined us. Jesus predestined us. Don't let that freak you out. It just means that he has known, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and blameless before him. Oh, I, I, he predestined us for adoption and as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Look at this. This is what 
we have been called to. Why we become imitators is because God has chosen us to be sons and daughters who did not have a name to have a name. Before you ever made the choice to sin, before you ever messed up, all your sin was future sin to Jesus when he went to the cross. And he still went. This is the love that the Father has for it's not a come to church, give, serve, do something, earn my approval, do something. Because I think a lot of times that's how some of our minds work when it comes to dad. That I have to act a certain way for dad to look at me or give me attention. And God's like, no, no, no. Before you ever thought about giving me attention, I'm giving you the attention. This is who you are. Favorite, loved, deeply loved. And this seems like an impossible task, right? Imitate God. Look, look, Luke 6, 36 says this, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus saying, be merciful, show mercy, have mercy, because this is who your Father is. This is a hard concept, and this is even the most difficult one. But let's just ponder on it for a second, shall we? Anyone ever been cut off in traffic? Maybe on the way here. Were you extremely merciful with them? Because in my reality, I'm not. I'm like, what are you doing? Hey, no one should ever give me the option, and no one ever will. But if I could take licenses for people who don't know how to drive, I would. Because I struggle with the idea of mercy at times. But I'm told to imitate God. He's merciful. Look at this one. Even seems to be completely impossible. Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, if this is who God is, and I've been called to be perfect, how is that even possible? Because I can't go five minutes without having thoughts that are bad. Right? Or I wake up, I stub my toe, and it's like, I need something, and the first moment is not usually I need Jesus. But I've been called to be perfect because, not because he said you should be perfect, it's because he is perfect. The beauty is that he's been perfect on our behalf. And we just get to walk in that. Knowing that you're going to struggle, but you're called to imitate. These are impossible attributes to chase. Or it seems that. So how do we go about it? Well, I'm glad you asked because it continues. As beloved children... And walk in love. Stop it. Walk in love. This idea of love here is agape love, which means it's unselfish, it's sacrificial. So the, what I love about the Greek language is they had different words for different meanings. We throw everything into the same word and we hope you can figure out what you mean by it. Right? I love my children. I love my wife. I love Dairy Queen blizzards. Yay. Amen? Amen. Who just got real excited and maybe they're going after church to get a blizzard? I'm like, this is, but this is the reality. The English language messes this up. I love my wife and I love blizzards. I do not love blizzards like I love my wife. Come on. But this is it. The Greek language goes into this idea. It's a sacrificial, it is a selfless love. This is how he's loved us. It's not passive, it's not just you talk about love, it's actually you put action to it. We live in a culture that is about passive love. You get to just talk about loving something. 
It doesn't actually cost you anything. And as soon as love does cost you something, you're out. Wow. That's why we live in a culture where divorce is skyrocketing. Or dating is like this weird thing of like, are we together? Are we not together? Like, what's happening? Do they love me? Do they not love me? And this is the idea because we've missed it. And the church has always been this place where love has been misconstrued. Because if they loved us, why would we be hurting? Acts 2 says they had all things in common. No one went without their needs being met. Because we've turned love into what can it do for me? Right? Jesus says walk in a sacrificial love. You want to imitate God? Let love cost you something. It's active. It's a misunderstanding of love. If love is just about my needs, then it's just selfishness, and it's not actually love. Love will always cost you something. Always. It will never not cost you something. There will be benefits in it, but it will always cost you something. Look at this. Sacrifice. Walk in love. Why? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for this. This is the idea of agape love. It costs Jesus everything. That's why in scripture it talks about that he humbled himself, came out of his place of authority in heaven, humbled himself to the point of servant, and died a death, a death on a cross, which was the most humiliating death in the first century. And why did he do it? Because of his love for the Father and his love for us. Because our sins separated us and he wanted it. He wanted us to be a part of the family. So your love for the people in this room, brothers and sisters in Christ, for the people outside of this room, is called to be sacrificial. Do you want to imitate what God is? Walk in love. Will it cost you? Absolutely, it'll cost you. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. So if we're to be imitators of God by walking in love like Jesus, then how do we battle the lies? We have to see that it is, we're not called to be that never sin, right? It's not called to walk in the perfect, the, the perfection of God, the example of God in every attribute that he has, but in his characteristics that we can you can't know all things, you can't be all places, but you can love like he did. You can serve like he did. You can forgive like he did. And we can do that because God on the cross through Jesus died our death and then the Holy Spirit has empowered us to live out his characteristics. But we have to go to battle. And we have to battle the lies that are being told to us everywhere we turn in our culture. Of do what's best for you or get your happy or do what makes you feel good. Be with who makes you feel the best. If they upset you, find the next. Right? We live in like a dating app world where you can just swipe until you figure out what you think is best. And when they annoy you, just go to the next. We've got to see that we fight what we're being told by the lies. And so this is it. This is what's hard about Christianity. Matthew 10, 39. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus said, lose your life. 
Lose your preferences. Lose what you think is best for you and see what God has best for you. And the only way you do that is that you die to yourself. Mark 8.34 says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, Jesus didn't call people into a relationship with him by being like, hey, you'll feel great all the time. You want joy? Just get your joy. Whatever, wherever you find your joy, get your joy. No, no, no. He said, if you want full life, if you want life abundantly, as John 10 calls it, you will deny yourself. You will lose your life, and you will find life in me. This is a radical love. This is radically different than what the culture teaches us. But we have to see that we will always mess it up. We will always go after what we think is best, but we don't see the outcome. And Jesus says, I know what's best because I'm God. Walk in my love. Trust my love. And how do you measure his love? The cross is the measure of God's love. It's at the cross that we see God's love for us. Completely. It's you see how, you want to know how to forgive people? You look to the cross. You want to know how to show mercy? You look to the cross. You want to know how to serve people? You look to the cross. And Jesus gave up everything. And this is the idea of, we have to understand who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher or a good, or a prophet or a smart dude. He was God. He is God. And he humbled himself and died your death and my death so we can have a relationship with the Father. And when we understand that that's who Jesus is, he's not just this idea that we've created. He was a person who was fully God and fully man and took your punishment, the sin that you do every day, every moment, he paid in full on the cross. This is love. And if that reality has set in your heart, if you understand that that's who Jesus is, that that's what he's done on our behalf, that's what love is, then you want to show the world. Not because you have to accept his love. He's already done it. He's already poured it out. It's a free gift. You didn't earn it. Free. Why would you not want the world to know that? To fully understand the depravity of who we are, the wickedness of who we are, the filthiness of we look to the cross. When we see that that cross, there wasn't levels of the cross. Your sin is not put on a pedestal. My sin is the same as your sin, and it is what killed Jesus. But luckily, he came alive. And we get to walk in that to show the world. This is why we imitate God. We imitate God so that the world would know God. It goes back to what we were created for in Genesis 1. Your, your creation, why you were created, was to reflect God to the world, to be image bearers, to show the world who God is. And you do that through how you love. The reality is the church in America just is really bad at showing that. Because it's become eternal. What can love do for me? What can I get out of this? No, no, no. What can I give up for those that know God? What, what would change if that became a mindset? 
This is the kind of love we're to walk in if we're going to imitate God. And he tells us that this is what he does. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You might be like, I don't understand what that means, fragrant offering. I love this. Tony Merritt says this, a pleasing aroma or a fragrant offering was an Old Testament description of God's acceptance of a sacrifice given from a sincere and wholehearted worshiper. Here in Ephesians, Christ's offering of himself was the ultimate acceptable sacrifice. It gave the perfume of grace and glory the most pleasing aroma of sacrifice ever. See, this is an Old Testament concept. We freak out about the Old Testament because they, they sacrifice animals as atonement. But I want you to see this. In Genesis 8, 21, look at this. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and burnt offerings on the altar. And look at this. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. This is what, when we love people, when we offer, it is a pleasing thing to God. He finds satisfaction in it. When we walk in love, it's not to be like, hey, look how awesome they are. Because that's selfish. Makes me think of, of uh, friends. I'm, I'm just showing you like how messed I am. I like to show friends. But it's that moment where it's like there's no such thing as an uh, unselfish act. Everything has a selfish motive. The reality of the Christian is to deny themselves, to love in a way that is not about you. What if you love someone? What if you serve someone in a way that no one ever gave you credit for? Would you still do it? What if, like, no one ever knew how awesome you are? Would you still love because there's heroes of the faith that no one knows their name, but they served well because they wanted Jesus to be known. But luckily, we do know some of the people that served well. I'm going to get to one in just a second. But this idea of sacrifice. So, fragrant offering is a pleasing that we, we, we love. It is pleasing to God. It's like an aroma that reaches the heavens and He is, finds it acceptable and pleasant. He talks about a sacrifice to God. This word sacrifice in the, Greek, in the Greek means a victim that was slain. Jesus was slain on our behalf. He did not deserve it. He walked a perfect life. He was God. He never sinned and still chose to take your and my sin upon himself that we might know him. See, our lives are to be identified with Christ's death on, on, death on the cross Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He identifies with the death of Jesus, that the life he now lives is not who he was before Jesus because God has called him into a new identity. To be identified is his idea of union with Christ, that what is Jesus' inheritance is our inheritance. That he has been given all authority, and we will one day reign in that authority with Jesus alongside of him over perfection. Are y'all ready for the day where there's no more tears, there's no more sadness? That day will come. We are meant to love and show the world, the watching world that that is looking to people to disprove what we believe by how we act. And we do it in an overflow that they might know the God that we love, that loves us. And it is our offering to God. 
It is a pleasing offering. I think of stories like saints like this lady named Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India. She died in 1951 at the age of 83. What a life, and a life that was not wasted. She served mostly young children in India, a majority of them she saved from sex trafficking. And when she died, she, her one request was that her grave would not be marked with a headstone. And she didn't want her name remembered other than the name of Jesus. But the, the children in the, in the orphanage and the home that she worked with wanted her to be remembered. And so they set up a bird bath because that wasn't a headstone. They figured out a way around it. And on it was an inscription that meant mother or mom. She loved in a way that showed not just that she cared, that God cared. This is what was said. She, it was said that she lived out her phrase. It said, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. And this was said about her. Her life is the most fragrant, the most joyful, sacrificial that I had ever known. That is what we're called to. This is not just that one lady did it really well and the others will come underneath it. This is what we've all been called to. To love in a way that we give up something. Whether it's a preference, whether it's our pride, whether it's satisfaction in someone knowing and giving you the pat on the back. We love not because people will know our name, at the end of my life, I do not want people to remember Brandon Richard. I want them to remember that someone loved Jesus. But this man, I want my children at the end of my life to go, Dad loved Jesus. And he loved people in a way that showed them Jesus. Have you ever been around someone that's like, it's like man, I felt like I was walking with Jesus. That like Jesus was in the room. They just loved so well. This is something I'm constantly con I'm convicted of, that I can be an arrogant jerk, and I can come across as, a, uh, as someone that doesn't care. Because I can get about, what is this, what's in it for me? How can I find my comfort? What, what, is, what am I gaining from this? And I'm missing that I've been called to imitate God that the world might know him. And walking in love which I love that, that it's a progressive thing, that it's a constant thing, that it's not just one-time walk in love or do love one time, it's walk in it, be in it, walk in this love. It's a sacrificial, it's unselfish. It is not about standing on a platform or people knowing your name or giving you credit. It's about denying yourself and losing your preferences so that the name of Jesus will go everywhere. Everywhere. This is what our life should be known. Because if we've experienced Christ, then we want to imitate him, that others might taste and see that he is good. So as we close tonight, this is what I want you to do. This is my call, my challenge. Walk in the love of Christ as imitators of God for others to see God. And the only way you can do that is if you know God. You can fake it. But it will never show the results of who God has called us to be fruitful people, faithful people, by Him. The way you do that is you abide in Him. You connect to Him. You worship Him. You plead with Him. You ask God to do what only God can do. And you 
you trust and surrender to that. His death on the cross was for you and it was for me. And so I'm going to pray for us. And if you're in the room tonight and maybe you've never met this amazing man named Jesus, the invitation for you to know Jesus is simple. It's to trust that he was the only way. That his death on the cross was not just so that you can have a better life, it's that you can have life. And he says that if you'll call in the name of the Lord, if you'll call in the name of Jesus, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that you can do nothing, but he's done it, he was safe. And there's a team of men and women in this room that would love to pray. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship. But this altar, there's nothing special down here, but there's something, and even if it's at your seat, maybe you just need to pray and ask God, what does this look like for me to walk in love? What does it look like for me to trust that this love is for me? You can do that in your seat, and I, I promise, I just believe the Holy Spirit meets us in special ways. But how awesome would it be if we left this room tonight? Not being like I checked something off the list, but I want to show the world the love of God, and I want to imitate His characteristics, His love, His mercy, His faithfulness, His servant. They might know you. So, Father, would you would you do what only you can do? God, would you awaken hearts? God, would you show us, God, where we fall short? God, where we struggle, where I struggle in my sin, where I choose myself over you daily, God, would you convict me of that? Would your kindness lead me to repentance? God, in a way that I want to walk in a way that you walk. I want to walk as you walk because I want the world to taste that you are good. The grace that I have experienced through you, Jesus. God, would you let me walk in a way that shows that love to others? God, if there's someone in the room tonight that doesn't know you, how would you meet them where they are? As you remind them that you have done all that needs to be done. We just need to surrender and trust.